this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 50, our discussion with representatives of the patient and patient advocacy communities, plus from the vault, my interview earlier in the year with biohacker par excellence and best-selling author, Dr. Marcus Rani. Louise Campbell starts this conversation by suggesting that one reason she considers patient focus so important is that companies focus mostly on purchasers and patients are rarely the purchasers of medications, at least in the more advanced economies. She expresses gratification upon learning that our patient advocates feel better listened to in the development process and goes on to note that patient advocates are often the best source of information for medical societies and public groups. Finally, she shares her perspective that liver disease needs to be part of every conversation about metabolic health and notes with approval that she had just attended a primary care meeting where liver plays a significant role. Mike Patel goes back to a previous point to note that ASLD now encourages specific patient contributions, which they did not do as recently as a few years ago. I shift to ask how closely the advocates are involved in clinical care pathway and clinical guideline development. All three advocates are closely involved in their respective countries. Robert notes that it's important not only to create and adopt patient-friendly guidelines, but also to create materials that allows patients to understand and utilize them. Wayne expresses concern that too much focus on guidelines is on drug and not enough on self-care earlier in the disease cascade. Patient advocates are, by their nature, disruptors and change agents, so it's not surprising that this conversation moves so fast and includes so many bold statements and shifts in direction. Listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. It very much depends who we look at, who the purchasers are of the medications and who's going to be driving industry. And this is why it is actually integral to what the discussions are with pharma and the patient representation, because the patients aren't the purchasers. The patients aren't who industry, going back to my, uh, particularly to Wayne's comment about profit and that side, they sell to medical insurers. They sell to the NHS. They sell to your local healthcare providers. And certainly when I went to sessions in the sort of 90s about healthcare, the patient was very much written out because they weren't the purchaser. That was the end user. It wasn't the purchaser. So it's really reassuring to know from my comments and question at the very beginning that people do feel included a lot more. The data that's produced by patient organisations now is second to none. Robert's obviously discussed the PBC app. Wayne had the Sun study last year, which we discussed on the podcast with Ian and George the data from that is reflective of some of the data that we get from a lifestyle side and reinforced what Stephen had got in his trial looking at those I think it turned up for colonoscopy if I remember there are different sections and the insurers are going to drive a hard negotiation table for any of these drugs approved for NASH what has to be at that table is how well are you taking care of the population that's one of the reasons I see this very engagement with patient organisations, using patient data, using the resources, really using the wealth of experience that we now have within liver disease, because those are going to frame some of the negotiations. If you do not tick this box, there's going to be the next product. How do we do from that? But I went to a primary care event last week, and we discuss regularly here why we have little buy-in or how primary care have struggled. For once, I actually 
actually got it. Cardiovascular was represented, respiratory was represented, health was represented, everybody was represented at that meeting in primary care where commissioners are walking round and as Stephen Callahan said previously, most commissioners aren't healthcare but if liver is not in the room at major conferences and meetings to show their wares and to be fair EchoSense were there but everybody just thinks this is a liver test for liver people. Unless we are now in the room saying that liver disease is important, no primary care physician, no commissioner sees it as important because it's not important enough for us to be there and I think there were some patient groups there from diabetes, there were some patient groups there from other diseases. This engagement with patients has to start at all levels not only in pharma but we now have to if we need to put together a liver task force of patients of nurses of advocates to be at every one of these primary care meetings to say hey it's important because even I didn't think liver disease was important in this meeting and yet half the people walking around there were directly had a reason to have liver disease as part of that conversation but going on to this app thing the majority of people in the room were selling technology to healthcare about how to monitor patient engagement how to get your drugs through, your AMIS, all of the new systems coming into the healthcare services, it was targeted about the future, how well you can engage, how well you can do stuff, getting them engaged with the patient organisations, particularly PVC apps, all of these things that can help because that's where it's going. Mike Bartel. So you you have to recognise that uh, organisations are starting to look at and listen to patients more because look, Robert, ASLD. So a few years ago, they never had any patient sessions. Now they have a whole stream of patient sessions and it's not just in the U.S. and Canada as well. So I say congratulations for the insight that these liver organizations are having now, because if they start to recognize patients, then other industries will begin to recognize patients' voices as well. Oh, absolutely. And therefore, it's absolutely fantastic that liver disease and the presentation of that is getting out there. There are lots of companies engaging. That is certainly the feel that I get way more than previously. And I, like you, come from a hepatitis C side into that organization. So yeah, oh, totally agree with you. Robert, you nodded smiled something when Mike was talking about the impact of advocates to get presentations and meetings and things like that. Anything you want to add on that thought before we go on? Robert Mitchell Fain. Well, there's a ton of thoughts. That there's so many great points made. Uh, firstly, congratulations to Wayne. You know, one of my key phrases is when we replace I with we, illness becomes wellness. Congratulations on that drive in terms of bringing all the patient organizations together. And Michael, I know that I've shared this privately, but congratulations on becoming a charity. This is so important. We need so many strong voices. And I think I was nodding and smiling at the fact that ASLD again deserve their congratulations because they have really taken some criticism on the chin and really directly and in a proactive way gone out to to listen to patient organisations and to bring them in to be part of the agenda. And I think that's been a huge benefit, not only to the patients, but also to the clinicians and to the academics because they now have a short line of communication where they get to hear directly what the unmet need is from the patients who are living that unmet need. In 20, 30 years, we will look back on this as the glory days in terms of changing the paradigm, changing the thinking, and changing the philosophies of these kind of organizations. Interesting. When we talk with some of the physician advocates, and now I'm not talking about the, just based on who consults the drug companies, but who looks at the totality of the disease, uh, one of the big thrusts that you hear from those folks are around uh, pathways and guidelines that we can simplify and structure care to the best benefit of the entire healthcare system. Is that an issue that you folks get involved in at all? If so, how? If not, do you anticipate that changing and why or why not? I will start just by saying I was invited to be part of the Canadian guidelines that are being developed. So I know in other parts of the world, they're already out. At least I'm talking about the National, the Nash 
life. That's great. Wayne or Robert or Louise, other thoughts? So yeah, I mean, similar to Michael. So I've co-authored a couple of, of sets of guidelines now. And we've also put some of the big guidelines into lay terms, specifically for patients. Both strategies have been really, really important. I think the patient experience brings a huge amount of problem-solving potential into the guideline writing mix. The key is the guideline is only ever as good as the number of people that read them. And so if we can make lay guidelines for the patients so they know what they mean for them, then I think that's a key part of the guideline process. Wayne Eskridge. I was part of the first patient advisory group that AASLD led in, and we have members on a couple of the guidance writing committees. So we're seeing a lot of outreach by AASLD, and I really want to acknowledge that. When we talk about the folks that are advising physicians, there's still a focus of how do you get a test pattern that maximizes the revenue to the physician? And we still have an acute care model in our healthcare system. So the focus is still on driving revenue to the uh, to the industry. And that, I guess, prejudices some responses that might benefit patients better. And the one that comes to mind is we don't have access to dietary support and counseling and help for people that are newly diagnosed and told to go change their lifestyle. You know, we'll give them a pill and charge them if we have one, but we don't invest in that period of time when people could make the most gains on their own without having to have uh, medications. And that's that struggle between who gets the money and how does the money get split up. And so we're still struggling. I think a lot with that kind of question. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our first look at next month's The Liver Meeting, the annual AASLD conference. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we look forward to seeing you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.